0: Welcome to Mayfield Baptist Church. We are very excited to have you with us here. We do encourage you to follow us on our social media, which you can access through our website at mayfieldbaptist.com. Please feel free to like and subscribe to this podcast to keep you up to date with our latest messages. We do hope you enjoy this recent message from MBC. that it may help you connect to God, grow in your faith, and serve in your own context. So yes, this week we start the parables of Jesus. So over the next few weeks, we'll be looking at a few parables that people will um, select. And so I thought, well, what is a parable? That's probably the first question to ask. What is a parable? Because Jesus Jesus uses them a lot. When he taught the crowds and when he taught his disciples, he told parables. So basically, a parable is a story using everyday themes, ideas, and events to convey deeper meaning. Some are easy, some are much harder to get your head around. They can be short. You are the salt of the earth is a parable. Don't cast your pearls before pigs or swine is a parable. The parables of the lost things direct and to the point, talking about something that's lost and someone goes looking for it. Then you get other, longer ones. The Good Samaritan, comparing four different characters and how they reacted to a person. In a nutshell, parables challenge our thoughts, our actions, and our motives, either directly or by sneaking in through the back door and getting us unawares. They are stories or one-liners to make us think. Salt influences its tastes and preserves. How do I influence others? Am I a preserving of good in the community I live? Which man in the story of the Samaritan am I? Do I walk past not even noticing? Do I cross the street? How do I treat others not like me? Simple stories with deep impact. So over the next few weeks, different people will be looking at different parables So this week, I want to look at the parable of the rich fool. Now, I want to read the whole chapter, because sometimes we take sections out of the context that they've been set in. And for me, this is quite big in this one, because as I was going through it, looking at commentaries, they were saying it means this, and I'm going, but it means that, and it also means this, 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 and this. And so I want us to understand that it's in a wider context that this parable was told. So buckle up. The whole of chapter 12, Luke 12. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roots. Basically, everything will come out in the end. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Or in other words, fear God, not man. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid, you are worth more than many sparrows. I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourself or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. And here comes the parable. Jesus is interrupted. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be for those with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. And then Jesus goes back to the the, the teaching he was doing. Then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens, they do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than these birds? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow, they do not labour or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? You of little faith, And and do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink, do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all these things and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock. for Your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. That last little bit, I think, sums up the parable as well. So let's pull the story apart and take a deeper look. Even the the opening light scene sets for what I think follows. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. We don't know the full story here, but it's likely that the older brother received the inheritance on the death of their father, because that's what normally happened. It was kept in the line. He would have got, if not all of it, the lion's share of it. But his duty was to then take care of the rest of the family. Israel was instructed to be generous and to help others, to give freely out of their abundance to those who are poor who have need. Moses had instructed them on how to care for each other. and In Leviticus 25, it says, If your brother becomes poor and cannot maintain himself with you, you shall support him as though he were a stranger and a sojourner, and he shall live with you. And in Deuteronomy 15, If among you one of your brothers should become poor, in any of the, your towns within your land that Lord God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against them. God commanded the Israelites to be generous and merciful to each other. Your brother's need was not to be capitalised on. It wasn't to be used for personal gain. It wasn't used for vengeance. If you loaned money, it had to be free of interest. Because the Israelites were delivered from Egypt, God had been more than generous to them and they were to reflect that to the world around them. In this case, the younger brother was asking Jesus to make his brother do the right thing. In this time, families all lived together. The eldest was responsible for the welfare of the whole family, all his siblings. The resources were to be shared. We tend to to think of inheritance as money. But back in this time, it would have been land. Land the family had held for generations. The resources of the land were used to sustain the whole family. The fact that the brother had come to ask Jesus for help implies that this may not have been happening. The crowd would have thought, that older brother is in the wrong. He should be doing what he's supposed to do, his share with the rest of his family. It was the right thing. It is what he was responsible for. It will bring shame on him if he doesn't do this thing, fulfill his responsibilities. So Jesus' response would have shocked a few people. He didn't side with the younger brother. But he warned him instead. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life doesn't consist in an abundance of possession. Remember, Jesus had just stopped, had been interrupted in his talking about God looking after and providing for people. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Now he had the crowd's attention because he was implying that this younger brother was being greedy for something he was entitled to have. Now, here's an aside here. When I started looking at this parable, when I read through it, greed wasn't the first thing that hit me, as I said earlier. But all the commentaries seemed to focus solely on greed, which is easy to think because Jesus used the word greed. So I went... That source that all good biblical scholars go to, I grabbed my Greek Bible and my Greek lectionary. What was the actual word used that is translated greed? And I found that the proper word would have, or the better word would have been, and here we go, covetousness. Covetousness. (laughs) No wonder they use the word greed, which lots of older translations actually use. Try saying covetousness a few times in a row and you'll probably understand why they picked greed instead of covetousness. Now, covetousness means more than just greed as we understand it. It means to take advantage of someone else, to get the better of them, to claim more than your share, to gain power over another, to hold on to, not give out. And we could also call it Greed as well. To seek more, to have more, to desire more, to take more than you deserve. So, looking at this bigger understanding of the word here, used greed, let's look at what I think Jesus was implying. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. I think here Jesus was wanting to challenge this man's intentions. Why well, put the request here in front of, remember, thousands of people? It was his right, that's correct. His brother was in the wrong. Moses had told them how to live and how to share. But how can he say that the man was greedy if he was only seeking what he was entitled to? All kinds of greed or covetousness. Yes, I think there may have been a desire on his part to be covetousness, covetous, by putting shame on his brother, ridiculing his brother in front of the community, which is why he did it in front of thousands of people. He was seeking an advantage over his brother. So Jesus' first response is to throw it back on the younger brother. What is your motive? Why are you bringing it here in this place at this time and with me? What seems like a legitimate request at its heart, I think, is being motivated by selfishness and greed and covetousness. I'm just going to lose that one. For possessions and control over his brother. Greed is here in many forms, not just possessions. It's also control and authority and ridicule. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Jesus was challenging the many forms of greed. And it brings us to the story. Because this story lines up with the teaching that I believe Jesus was doing before and after. So Jesus launches into his story. The ground of a certain rich man yields an abundant harvest. So he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. This was a blessing from God. Only God can provide such harvests. Man plants the seed. That God is the one that makes it grow. And Leviticus 26, If you walk in my statutes and observe my commands and do them, then I will give you your rains in their season, and the land shall yield its increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. This large abundance is a gift from God. He must be a good man. He must be following God's commands and decrees because God has blessed him richly. Then he says, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Theref I'll, theref, there I will store my surplus grain, and I will say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. This seems sensible. Make more room for this surplus. It has to go somewhere. But There is something creeping in here. Sometimes we may not notice it at first. So let me reread the past section with a bit of emphasis. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain let up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Eleven times he refers to himself. Not once to God or others. It's all about him and what he will do with what he has been given. He doesn't even acknowledge that it's come from God. He's not content with what he has. He has to build bigger barns to put this stuff in. So he can keep more for himself. In our selfish world view that we live in, we can overlook this. And I'm sure many of Jesus' listeners did as well. God has blessed him, so he must be okay. He must be good. He must be a good Jew. And it's great to make sure it's not wasted. The abundance itself is not the issue. It's his and our attitude towards abundance. That's what matters selfishness and trust or selfishness and covetousness because he is not intending to share just as moses and god commanded the israelites to do to share and give freely and it's also about trust in that he's relying on his possessions and himself to make life good now he has a lot he will be okay and happy safe from hardship a trap that we can all fall into Do I have enough? Do I need more? Can I get more to be secure and safe? What can I do to make my life more secure, safe and happy? The sin of covetousness and greed is not just for those who have lots. Those with little can also fall into this trap. It's not about what you actually have. It's about what you think about what you have or don't have. The desire to have more things and money, to be satisfied by those things to make you safe and secure. Remember what Jesus said, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And in Matthew 6, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Anything we own or have, be it money, land, possessions, reputation, can in an instant be destroyed or taken away from us through the action of others, through natural disasters, all of which we have no control over at all. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? The rich man was placing his trust in what he had and what he could hold on to. But ultimately, it was of no help. When it came to the end, all his possessions did not save him. All his barns did not save him. All that we own, money, status, reputation, in the end, matters not. It is said that we come into this world with nothing and we leave with nothing. Everything in between is fleeting and temporary. This is how it is with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. The challenge here is, are we fools for relying on our stuff? Relying on the creation for our security and happiness and not the creator. By trusting in stuff that is easily lost, we are settling for second best and a life of anxiety as we need to protect what we have because it's what we rely on. We need bigger barns to hold an ever-increasing amount of security which needs more stuff to fill to be more secure. Jesus, after this story goes on, after he's interrupted, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, about your body, what you will wear, for life is more than food and the body more than clothes. We live in a culture that continually bombards us with calls to buy and to have and to get more and more. Life is better with more and more. In many ways, our whole economic system is built on this. More, more, more. But think about it. How is the stuff we have? Do we even remember what and why we got some of the stuff we've got in the first place? I know that when you move house, you find lots of things. You think, how long have I had that? What did I get that for? Out it goes. The opposite of covetousness. (laughs) I found this amusing little pictures. And how our stuff ends up in the shopping trolley one week, in the garbage bin the next. Who has that problem? Which side of the coin are we most like? Covetousness or opposite? Generous, benevolent, giving, bounteous, charitable, open-handed, satisfied with what we've got, bountiful, unselfish and unenvious. Therefore, don't be like the pool. Don't trust our stuff. We are more valuable than anything we can think of to the Father. And he has our back. Trust in him. He will provide all our needs. Security and life and happiness is not found in bigger barns, abundance of harvests and lots of stuff. If anything, they add more worry to life, more anxiety. Jesus in Luke 12 is teaching on how to order our lives, the way we choose our life, impacts our attitude to life. Do we trust God to provide, to give us the security we need? Or are we trying to do it alone, relying on what we can have and hold and hang on to and worrying about that? Covetousness at its core is a mistrust of God to provide. It relies on things to do what God intends to do and wants to do. The man displayed his covetousness by wanting to shame his brother, having control over his brother, into giving him the security that his inheritance was going to give him. The fool was covetous in that he thought having so much would enable him to live happy and safely. He wasn't generous, charitable, open-handed, benevolent with what God had given him. But seek first his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. If we look to God for our life and well-being, then we will lack nothing. Life may be hard. Jesus warns us of it. But ultimately, when all is said and done, our hope is not here. Our hope is not in the things we have. It's in the man we believe in. It is the God we follow. Our joy is not complete here, but somewhere beyond what we see now. Don't be like the rich fool who replaces trusting God with reliance on things. In the eyes of the world, he had it all. In the eyes of God, he had nothing. Be careful where we place our treasure, our trust. It is here where things beyond our control can take it away in an instant. Or is it elsewhere where nothing can take it away or steal it or destroy it? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's pray. Father God, you are a God who seeks to bless and provide and give us hope. So often we fall into the trap of thinking the things that you have given us are the things that will give us hope and happiness. Continue to remind us that you are the source of all things and that trusting in the things that you've given us is not the same as trusting in you. Amen.